Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays, and I'm here with Sweet Daddy J. <laughs> sweet, sweet, uh, sweet, sweet Daddy, Sweet Daddy Grace. Was that what his name was? That was one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sweet Daddy Grace. Yeah, that's strange. You have to go back to yeah, Tuesday. If you haven't, if go you haven't watched, Tuesday. if you haven't watched the clip from Tuesday, go back and go back and watch it. Or you'll have no idea what we're talking do about. Do you do you think that he was involved in the making of a Sweet Baby Race? I doubt it. Oh. Yeah, probably not. That because they were they were though that would be a crazy little little twist. It would be plot twist. Yeah, you eat his barbecue sauce. Oh man, we got a we got a big episode probably today. Um, don't know how long it's going to be. It could possibly turn into two portions of episode. But what we have planned is unconditional election. So we're doing the doctrines of grace. We looked last time uh, we had free for all Friday at total depravity. Uh, so you'll want to go and reference that. So now we're going through the tulip, and now we're on the U, which is unconditional election. But before we get into that, I know there are things of which you have been holding, and I have one thing yeah. which I will show, mm-hmm. and we can talk about. It's just been a lot of stuff going on last several weeks. Yeah, I mean the world of ice skating changed really. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know that that's people gra- come here for news. That's that- a great. That was a great transition. I love yeah. it. People love come it here. Too. They want to know. What are the things? See, like there are there are things that major news networks are going to cover, mm. and there are things that you really need to know because mm-hmm. they're really important, like right. this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's up to us. It's like a responsibility we have to scour the internet mm. and to find the things that people want to know and see, and to bring them to them on a free for all Friday. Such is the case of the transformation of ice skating. Ice skating's been changed forever, George. <laughs> it would look that way. I mean, this is the biggest change since the invention of the blade, <laughs> of to which you could you could ride upon ice on. Yeah, yeah. So um, this story's been out for a, a couple of weeks, but I've just had to hold on to it. We haven't we haven't had mm-hmm. a chance to talk about it. Uh, Finland has introduced the first. Trans ice skater. Yep. Uh, this guy's going by. Uh, I'm probably going to butcher it because I don't know the language. Uh, Mina Maria Antakainen. Hmm. Uh, so they uh, they had a, a a female. What whatever that even means anymore. Female ice skating competition. Yeah. Um, in Europe and Finland introduced the first trans ice skater. So this is a guy who be honest with you. dressed like a girl. It didn't go the, th- the way that I thought it was going to go. What? <laughs> I thought, you know, I thought how it usually is going to go is a man goes into a woman's sport and he just totally dominates, dominates, yeah. and, ru- well, for, and ruins. Well, everything. first let's first let's let's look at him. Let's let's see the let's see this uh, new. He's pretty elegant. Let's see. <laughs> let's see this. Ice skater, uh, we've got him on the screen. There, there he is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jay looks like a hobgoblin. <laughs> he does, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I'll be honest with you, George. This looks like the person that did my uh, airborne physical 
Oh, was, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I was going to go uh, to jump school before, I think it was before they uh, just got voluntold, you know, to go to Iraq, but I wanted to go to jump school, so I had to go to jump, I had to go get a physical, mm-hmm. so I go over here to get a physical, and, you know, as a person like that. But looking back on it, I think this physical, which was forced upon me, was actually not a physical at all, but a test of my mental toughness. Mm. I think that's what it was. Yeah. I think it was a little trickery they pulled on me. Really? Yeah. But I didn't know that they had become an ice skater. Now, now they have. They've changed the sport forever. You know, when I first when I first saw him, um, I could only think of of this. I got another picture up here for you. Oh my. That's pretty much dead on. <laughs> you, that's dead you remember, on. You remember Gremlins too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's the uh that's the gremlin that uh it's the female gremlin. Yeah. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's uh, Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there's video. Yeah. There's video of this guy coming out during the uh during yeah. the competition. Um let me let me pull this up for us. Are you are you ready for this? I'm Larry, ready. are you ready for this? I don't think Larry's ready for this, man. All right, here we go. Here we go. This is the opening ceremonies of this ice this all female okay. Yeah. Ice skating uh competition. Mm-hmm. And this uh trans ice skater from Finland is introduced. Oops. Oh no. You know, broke it broke he broke the I, know, uh, I broke the I broke it. All right, here we go. All right, here we go. There, there he is. Oh, so, yes. so graceful. Oh, oh, he's down. He's down. Oh, goodness. Oh my goodness! <laughs> if you're not if you're, wa- if you're listening, you got to go and watch. You just got to watch it. I can't describe it. Yeah. Here come these ladies. <laughs> you can't get up. <laughs> hey, you know that lady didn't want to help him. She wanted to. Yeah. She probably wanted to whack him with that flag. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, it looks like. Uh, Wasn't expecting it, lo- it. You know, you you uh, you know, you've got the you got the uh, the swimmers. Yep. Um, That's what I thought it was going to be. Think, Some yeah, domination. Domination. It looks like that is the first time he's ever been on ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I think I probably could have done that, Jay. I think you could have, George. I, and I would probably pay money. Would you pay? <laughs> I'd pay. I'd pay good money for that. Mm-hmm. Here's progress. Yep, just some guy. We're, we're advancing. Just, we're just we're just taking off as a civilization, as a culture, just creating all kinds of. And you know this this is um, that they'll tout this as as progress. They'll tout it as um, look how far we've come, and and this will take headlines. And he's terrible for one thing, mm-hmm. um, and it just takes away from all the all the actual women that are competing. I'll be honest with and you, are actually good ice skaters. Sure, I don't believe that was an ice skater. Here's what I think was happening. <clears throat> Here's what I thought. Here's what I think was happening. They said they were sitting around at a meeting table, and they said, uh, "You know what? We just don't have enough viewers in ice skating world anymore." Yeah. And so they were planning, and they said, "What could we do to get some attention?" And they were like, "You know what? We could use is we could use a trans ice skater." 
And they were like, well, we don't know of any trans ice skaters in the world. And, but if we had one, that would definitely, you know, our ratings would skyrocket everybody tune in. So they were just looking around the table and they just looked around the table and they just found a dude who wasn't paying attention. He was like twirling his pencil and they were like, Bob, <laughs> you're taking one for the team, Bob. And he's like, what? They're like, yeah, you're dressing up as a, as a woman and we're going to put uh, makeup on you and you're going to, you're going to be an ice skater. Yeah. I think that's how it happened. Maybe. I just can't believe that anybody would say, hey, this is a real ice skater. <laughs> right. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> what in the world? Crazy. Crazy stuff. Oh, man. It's a wild world it in which we is. live. Oh, man. And what else do we got? I'll put a time stamp when we start actually talking about <laughs> when we actually get into the main, uh, the main unconditional subject. Unconditional election, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we've talked about Rick Warren on here. Um, you know, over the we sum- even, over the summer when he yes we, we did even we paid respects to him and wore our Rick Warren shirts. We did. They're still over there. Yeah, they are. You haven't even taken it home. You, I thought you'd be rocking that all the time. I th- Jay, if you if you showed up on Sunday to preach wearing that, don't don't you dare me. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I could never do it because you don't think so. Nah, I could. I just couldn't do it. Well, we we did an episode and we talked about his, um, you know, his his self congratulatory speech at the, uh, the yeah. SBC convention over yeah. the summer. He trained, He's trained trained more trained pastors. millions. You know, trained millions of pastors and. Uh, but he he stepped down as pastor of Saddleback Church and. Uh, he chose his own successors. That's the Southern Baptist yeah, way, that's right? The way. That's the way. And that's the way Baptists are supposed to do it. Uh, really strong on Baptist polity. Right, yeah. <clears throat> so he chose his own successors. Um, successors. It's a husband and wife. Right. right. Um, and uh, they uh, they did a little Q&A recently. Yeah. And we've got a clip of a, a question that they were mm-hmm. asked. And uh, I think it's... I, th- I think it's a pretty important clip because you've got you've got uh, Saddleback, Saddleback Church. They they were controversial at the uh, at the the SBC National Convention and over the summer because they ordained a bunch of women and they called them pastors, mm-hmm. right? Which is in direct violation of the Baptist faith and message. And um, so there was this big controversy. The SBC has to have a committee to. Uh, you know, to research the term pastor and, mm-hmm. and what it means. And um, so they didn't get dis- disfellowshipped. Rick Warren was, you know, really sarcastic about it. This is going to be my last time speaking and, and all of that. But we've got this. And, um, you know, we'll just wait and see what, uh, you know, the, the elite mm. of the SBC tell the convention yeah. about this. So here's, yeah. a, here's a clip. Here's a uh, Q&A with the new uh, with the replacement pastors of Saddleback Church. Um, okay, yeah, okay. okay. This says um, this is from Erica. It says I have gay friends who came to Jesus after they were married and adopted children. God hates divorce. How would you approach the situation? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's really hard. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know if there's a I don't know if there's a black and white answer. And. I think I would sit with them in it. George, and you just got to sit, sit with them in it, George. Pause it. You got to sit with them in it. 
George, how many stupid uh, Christian uh, words and what about stupid Christian words are words that are part of the the uh, I would call it sub Christian. I don't know what's the word the I call Christiany it, Christiany culture. I don't call it, it's not part of Christianity, right? When I say cr- these these uh, culturally Christian words, just gotta sit with them. You gotta sit with them. Just gotta it. sit with them in it. Yeah. Georgia, when he said that, it's kinda, that kinda look, brought, look at the expression on his face. Like hey. this, uh, I don't think he's. I don't think he's like play acting. I think he genuinely is like, I, I don't have a clue. Yeah, you got this gay couple. They've been married for you know five years, and and now they both become Christians. Uh, I don't know. Should they get a divorce? I just don't know. Yeah, it's a gray area. Well, I don't. You know, first warning is that beard. You got to watch out. When you see that, that's like that's like saying I'm not committed to anything, <laughs> right? It's like I, I shave half, I've shaved part of my face, yeah, but I but I'm kind of committed to a beard, mm. and I kind of feel like that's how he is about being a pastor. He's yeah. kind of in it, but not really in it. Mm. Doesn't know. And that's why he answers the way that he does. He's scared to have any convictions about anything. You know, when George, I was... it's never a good idea to sit with the wicked in something. You know, that you ever have a like? There's a warning. You ever hear of it? Mm. It's the beginning of Psalms, the book of Psalms, mm-hmm. the Psalm Psalm one. Uh-huh. Yeah. So little, little deal in there about not sitting. Uh, so I find that terminology interesting. Can you imagine um, this? These two. These two men coming to our church they're excited they just trusted in christ yeah they've 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 heard the gospel they understand the gospel they believe the gospel they want to follow jesus but now they they need some guidance because they were practicing homosexuals and they actually got married uh under state law right right? so Mm -hmm. now they're wondering what to do Mm -hmm. and they really want to follow jesus and uh you come to the pastor you know what are we supposed to do? Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't know. You know, I think we just need to sit with it for a while, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can you just imagine? Sit with a minute. Just gotta yeah. sit with a minute. Yeah. God hates divorce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's real easy. It's real easy. It is really easy. You were never married. Mm-hmm. Um, what you had is maybe a definition of marriage according to a government. Government has decided what marriage, but you're never married according to God's standard. So this divorce is not something God will hate. So you go ahead and you get divorced according to the state. And then here's my advice, and people are going to think it's cruel, but you know, I don't really care. You're going to take your kids and you're going to sign them over to a heterosexual couple hmm. because you care about them. You want them to grow up and have a healthy Christian upbringing and development. So while you are... Re- actively repenting of your sin and being sanctified, um, you need to, if you love your children, give them over to a, a heterosexual couple so that they can have a male and female parents as God designed. Mm. That's my advice. You know, Jay, I just I just don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're talking about we're talking about Jesus, right? He said right. Um, to take up your cross and to follow him. Mm. Like that means you die to yourself. And people say, well, that's that's asking a lot of them to do that thing. I mean, but it's no more than we would ask any, any other person to give up their sin. Like if a sinner came to us with any other um, the proclivities to sin in any area, uh, we wouldn't say, hey, you know what? Let me sit in it with you for a while. Mm-hmm. We, right. would, we would say, put it to death, repent, die to yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. Right. 
Well, it, we, we won't listen to the whole the whole video because they're just they don't they don't say anything. Um, he brings out the. Well, it would be fun to play it and count the number of <laughs> of those words that he uses. Like sit with sit with sit with them in it. Yeah, you know what I mean, sit with them in it. We just got to navigate it. Um, you know. Oh, that's something something different. Um, so he brings out the um, the example. And we talked about this in seminary. I don't know if you guys talked about this in like a missions class. Oh yeah, yeah. You get you go over to, you know, Africa somewhere, you know, heart of Africa, right? Where they practice polygamy, mm-hmm. and now they become Christians. What do you do? What do you do with that? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and my answer for that would not be the same as for a for a homosexual couple. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not, it's not the same, it's not the same thing. It's not the same issue. It's not, but but we could say that both of them are sinful situations. Mm-hmm. Nowhere in the Bible, like, this is one of the things where, like, you know, critics or non-believers would want to attack the Bible. They say, oh, like, your God has polygamous marriage everywhere. But mm-hmm. it's, ne- it's not ever... Uh, Presented in a positive light, ever. Mm. Every, anytime there is anyone who has a marriage like that, it's always it's bad. A, <laughs> yeah, there's always it's problems. Pure, it's pure chaos, and, mm. it, and it's bad. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, what you do in that situation, in probably in one of those countries, women get in that situation because uh, they need protection and things like mm. that. They need to be provided for, usually. Um, so it is different. It's more complicated, because mm. you're not just going to be like, hey, throw her out in the street. Pick one, throw the rest out in the in the street. <laughs> right. Let them survive mm. if they can. Yeah. So probably the church is going to need to get a little bit more involved. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, what would I say? Eventually, the place to get to, I think, would be to where you have one wife, and then the church takes care of the rest of your wives like they're widows. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Until they can find a an actual husband. Mm. Does that does that seem unreasonable? It probably would to the people involved. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, I, I don't know. That would be more of a situation where I would the church. The church would have to get involved with that. Yeah. Mm. So people always got a favorite, though, right? Like you yeah. see in the Bible, it seems like they have a favorite. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, but that wasn't the question. The question was, <laughs> you know, to you know, homosexual, two practicing homosexuals that become Christians, right? Um, and to act like it's this gray area, not good. I, th- I think it's a hypothetical question, honestly, yeah. because I think if somebody's born again, like I think if, if there are two, like that's not a real one that, that they, they're proposing, but I think if there, if there are two people like that and like, like let's say they are born again, <clears throat> or you could even switch it. Let's say you have two heterosexual people that are, Living together in a non, they're living in a non God honoring way, mm-hmm. not married, fornicating. Um, one of them becomes a believer, is born again. Now, what happens? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I don't think you have to lay it out explicitly for them. I think they probably already have a good idea what they need to do. Yeah. Because they're born again, they have the Holy Spirit. Mm. So they are, con- they would be, con- they're convicted of sin and they know what they need to do to follow Christ. Right. And so you just you help them, yeah. You help them to be obedient to that, yeah. All right, so this will this will transition us into our our topic, right? which one? So I've got a plan. 
What do you got? I've got a plan. Well, um, well, I got my crazy video to show. Yeah. Oh, you got one too? No, I was I was gonna go to I was gonna go to Phil Fisher. Oh, okay. Do you want to show yours first? Did you go to him because we were talking about gay stuff? Did you? Is that why you thought of him? No. No. Are you sure about that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you um, want to you show yours first? I got I got a I got a crazy one. It's uh okay. it's a Bethel baptisms. Have you seen this? <laughs> oh no. Bethel baptisms. Okay. I think this is a good one to show just the general poor state of Christianity in general. Yeah. Like we we've already hit the Baptist. Um, I think they're still Baptists over there, are they? Rick Warren. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, well, not really. They're they are Southern Baptist. Okay. But are they Baptist? That's debatable. Well, now uh, we'll throw some Bethel out there, and we got here. What we got here in the Bethel is uh, a good representation just of the terrible state of Christianity in general. Mm. We're talking about baptism here. I'm going to show a video, and these people are saying why they're going to why they want to get baptized, George. Okay. And uh, Justin Peters put this together. Okay, <laughs> of course he did, as only he can do. <laughs> All and right, it's just. It's just, uh, it's pretty enlightening. Okay. So let's watch it. All right. Oh, or maybe, maybe I need to uh, switch back over to me, Larry, while I get my sound straight. Okay. Of course, of course, I, I didn't do this. All right. So this, this is actual Bethel. This is, this is Redding, California. Is that? I guess so. Okay. I mean, I'm sure they have more than one. No. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. That's the main one. I, I don't know. They've got a big, big, uh, big music deal. Everybody, everybody likes their music, huh? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, there it is. There we go. So let's start with you. What, what was your name, and uh, why are you wanting to be baptized? What was your name? <laughs> <laughs> My name's Michaela. <laughs> and and why are you wanting to be baptized? Oh, Jesus is King. <laughs> I love him so much, and I'm a child of God. <laughs> Come what? on. What? Why being baptized tonight? My name is Lacey, and because I want to show how much I love Jesus. Come on. Yeah. What? That's not why you get baptized. Tonight. My name is Camille, and I hope that tonight's baptism, excuse me, will cause some positive influences in my life, positive things in my life future opportunities, and strengthen my relationship with God. What? Camille, that's amazing. It what? gets worse. <laughs> tell us your name and tell us why. Hey, what if you were in a baptistry and somebody said that? You'd be like, drop the thing. Sing, yeah. sing, the, next, sing the next song. You just get up and walk out. Just leave them in there. Tempted to hold them down a little bit longer. <laughs> Good night. Ties tonight. Hi, I'm Crystal, and <laughs> I just know that God is calling me to be a warrior for his animal kingdom. For what? I'm to lead angels of ar an army of angels to protect animals across the world, <laughs> and I just know I can't do it without God. What? That was unexpected. <laughs> Gosh, just calling me to be a warrior for his animal kingdom? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? They're just going to go ahead go ahead and go on with that baptism. 
<laughs> she can't be. She can't do it. Do it without God. So she's there to be. Uh, that <clears throat> so I thought about this, and you know what? I it it is funny, and I'm la- and I and we're laughing. Obviously, it's it, it is funny, and ob- but obviously it's also very sad. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I would I would find it as amusing or laugh this hard. If I actually thought that this organization was Christian, oh yeah, the, uh, so the reason Beth- Bethel is yes, pagan. So the reason I I laugh at their stupidity, I think, is for the same reason God laughs at people right. in Psalm two mm-hmm. because they're in rebellion. They're rebelling against God. They're making they made up a new religion. Yeah, they made up a whole new religion and called it Christian and put Christian terminology on it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. I mean, this is one of the things that will be destroyed when Christ comes. Is these these false? These are false prophets. Mm-hmm. This is a false religion um, with Christian labels slapped on it. That's that's the funniest one. There are, there are others that are <clears throat> there are more of them, but I, that's the craziest one. That one's up there with metaphorical dream baby for me. <laughs> you know, she's going to be a warrior for God's animal kingdom, and she can't do it without God. So she's there to get baptized. Wow. Yeah. Some crazy stuff, man. But you know what? They Other churches maybe won't go this far as to give somebody, like, ask, why are you doing this? But right up here up the road, the uh, Assembly of God Church, they have they have the, a day where they would have, like, a, I guess spontaneous baptisms or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anybody could come to get baptized. So, you know, my wife's former place of business... Here in town, they had several people be like, "Hey, are you gonna go get baptized today?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, we're going to get baptized." And they'd be like, "Well, what are you doing? Why are you doing it for?" And they have no idea why. Mm. They just wanted to go do it. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know what they were doing. They just wanted to go do it. Mm. And so they're just getting bad. They just baptize them, man, by the by the hundreds. Whoever comes, <laughs> crazy dude. That's right here, right here in this town. So. Um. What do you think of that, George? I mean, Baptists have been guilty of the same. Maybe not the, you know, I want to be baptized because I'm a, I want to be a warrior for God's animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. But um, the really, you know, feel good kind of stuff. Yeah. And just baptizing, you know, whoever, mm-hmm. whoever shows up. Baptists have been guilty of that for that's true decades. Yep, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we've talked about the fire fire hose baptisms. Uh-huh. Um, we've seen like slip and slide <laughs> baptisms. Yeah, yeah. And, the slide, go down the slide, uh-huh. land in the water. Yeah, confetti goes off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a church in Tulsa that I know of that. They baptize. Um, they don't even baptize in the service. There's like mm-hmm. a video of them getting baptized while, you know, the rest of the service is going on. What? Yeah. How about how about uh, giving a uh, dogs baptism? <laughs> Are we there yet? Because because some places will give dogs. They try to give dogs the Lord's Supper. You've seen that. I'm okay. sure they have I'm a bring sure. your pet day, and yeah. they give the Lord's mm-hmm. Supper to dogs. Are they giving? I'm sure. I'm sure. They try. Yeah. Places. I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Yeah. 
Well, shall we transition into <clears throat> talking about election? Well, I've got uh, I've got this I've got this tweet that will get us there. Oh, you think it'll get us there? I think it will get us there. Okay. Yeah. Is it by Rango? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> you just connected the dots. You just connected the dots to Rango. Come on, bud. Um, it is. Goodness, Phil Fisher. We talked about Phil Fisher, yeah. creator of VeggieTales. Mm-hmm. Um, he's gone star of super star woke. Of Rango. <laughs> that people aren't even going to know what we're talking about. That's been so long ago. I'm not pulling it up again. Right. Well, pull, people can not, do it on their own if they okay. want a good time. Pull, right. pull up Phil Fisher, <laughs> then go pull up old Rango. Okay. He tweeted this uh, yesterday. What day is today? I don't even know what day it is, Jay. It's today the today is Thursday. I have no Tuesday. idea the numbering. I just go by You just know the day. day of the week? Yeah. Uh, Tuesday. He tweeted this Tuesday night. And uh, it... <laughs> Well, let's just read it, <laughs> and then we can talk about it. I was sad today. I sent you this and said, if you, if, you, if you ever see me do something like that, don't let me get away with it. All right. <laughs> I was sad today. I think I need some distance from the people who exhibit absolute certainty, doctrinal certainty, cultural certainty, political certainty. They dry out my soul. Mm. They just dry out his soul. They just dry it out. All right. I mean, he, keep, he keeps going, though. This is a... This is a thread. It gets a little bit better. Mm-hmm. If I'm not allowed to learn from Tim Keller because he's too, quote, winsome, mm. or a Catholic priest because he's a Catholic priest, or Beth Moore because, girl, <laughs> God <laughs> becomes so small. Quote, I'd let you in, child, but your atonement theology was a little wonky. I'm not sure I'm doing this right. <laughs> <laughs> Lean into that, Phil. <laughs> An atheist once asked how certain I was of my beliefs, and I said, quote, on most days, somewhere just north of 51%. <laughs> we need to be safe places for people to wonder and ponder and question, even for the good of our own mm. souls. Don't have too much faith. Don't be too certain. Goodness, just north of 51%. Mm-hmm. Oh. Ugh. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty sure that uh, we talked about this in Hebrews chapter ten. We're supposed to draw near with full full assurance, assurance. <laughs> certainty. We can. Mm. So it makes him sad. It makes him. It just makes him so sad, Jay. Yeah, sad Bob the Tomato. Yeah. Um. <laughs> you never watched Veggie Tales, did you? Mm-mm. Ah. There's a song where uh, it's sad tomato, sad tomato, poor, poor tomato. Isn't he sad? He's just sad. Um, Too much certainty. because of doctrinal certainty. Mm-hmm. He just needs to distance himself from people who have absolute certainty, doctrinal, cultural, and political certainty. Mm-hmm. They dry out his soul, and then you know I can't learn from a Catholic priest because he's Catholic, or Beth Moore because <gasps> she's a girl. That's not the reason why people criticize Beth Moore. Right. <laughs> that's not. That's not. Definitely, uh, definitely we, you not. Know, Tim Keller. We talked about Tim Keller. Uh, you know, he, I mean, he even gives the example. God becomes, uh, you know, I'd let you in, child, but your atonement theology was a little wonky. I'd be careful there. There are false doctrines of the atonement mm-hmm. that would 
if you believe it, if you believe that's what Jesus did, then you're probably not a Christian. Right. You know, uh-huh. um, there, there are things, I mean, the, the scriptures, what, what's even the point of reading the Bible? Right. Like if you can't be certain about your, your doctrinal beliefs, if, <laughs> if you can tell an atheist, you know, just north of 51% on most, most days, what, what's even the point? Yeah. Like, what are you reading the Bible for? Yeah. It, it, it's coming to the Bible and saying, well, it says this, but you just can't. I'm 51% you just can't, you just sure. Can't be, you just can't be, you know, sure about this. Yeah. Imagine reading the Bible and <clears throat> thinking, I'm 51% sure that this is, this is true and mm-hmm. I should be reading this. Right. Crazy. Yeah. Um, Crazy stuff. But anyway, uh, we're not going to pull a Phil Vischer today. We're going to, uh, with, confidence with certainty mm-hmm. we're gonna talk about unconditional election right right yeah yeah he's fall- th- 30, 33 minutes jay <clears throat> look you don't want to fall into this 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 idea this where not knowing is good or else you'll end up doubting everything for the good of our soul like what it's good for our soul to not have certainty but this is the this is the postmodern. Mm-hmm. this is the postmodern worldview it, it I, I, not to the logic, not to its ultimate conclusion. I think ultimate conclusion would be like nihilism, um, right. but it's it's getting there. Mm-hmm. Like this is postmodernism. There's there's no truth. Everyone's got their own truth, so you can't have certainty. And it's actually good. It's right. actually good for you to have doubts. Mm-hmm. Like why is at what point in your life have you ever felt good about having a doubt about something, <laughs> like wanting to make a decision but you just don't know mm-hmm. what. Well, in what scenario would you say, you know what, it's okay. I feel yeah. I feel good about this. I don't know. I've got two jobs. I just don't know. Uh-huh. And the the uncertainty. Who's like mm-hmm. oh, that's a great feeling. But then when you come to doctrinal certainty, <laughs> all of a yeah. sudden it's good for your soul if you're not doctrinally sure. It's almost right? like he's telling people that you should actually build your house upon sand. Mm. Because because oh, yeah. a rock the a rock is too certain. Mm. You don't want to build your house upon a rock because if right. you build your house upon a rock, well then it might actually stand when a storm comes, and you just can't do that today. What what you need to do is be vulnerable and build it on the sand. So then when a storm comes, your house can fall down like your neighbors, and you both can be miserable together, <laughs> uh, and you can sit in it with one I another. <laughs> Yeah. But if you build your house upon a rock, well, then your neighbor's house is going to fall, and your house is going to be there, and that means that you were actually right. He was wrong. And we can't we can't live like that. That's not healthy for ourselves. That's mm-hmm. not healthy for our neighbor. Right. Of course, I'm being absolutely facetious. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus, what does he say? Everyone who hears his words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Mm-hmm. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. I'm okay with certainty. That doesn't make me uncomfortable, George. Yeah. I don't know about you. Uh, I think if there was a tornado rolling through, we're probably going to want to run into that house that was built on solid rock and had a tornado shelter built right. inside it. Yeah. You know? We don't want to run into the uh, the old trailer park, mm-hmm. the tornado magnet, you know? And uh, I am Phil Bisher, he would, he would have us do so. I am and grow more increasingly... Every year, 
with the confidence that God has spoken in this book. We can trust this book um, and we can believe what it says mm-hmm. and we can, we can base our lives on it. Right. Right. For, for Phil Vischer, that's not good. It's not good to say, well, this book is absolutely sure. Like, well, it doesn't really talk about abortion. Right. Like, like there, there like are certain- just read the book. There's, there's certainty we can have. It certainly talks to this issue and we can certainly believe what it, what it says. Not only do we have certainty found in the word, in the word, but God has been so gracious to us that there is certainty that is that is actually that we have access to just in the in the real world. Everyone has access to it. There are some things, and this is how we know that there is such a thing as certainty. And we're going to talk about it this Sunday as we're coming in. We're going to be looking at injustice and oppre- uh, oppression, uh, the idea of justice and, and and all of that from Ecclesiastes and. What I was reminded of when I was studying this is that every single person that lives on the face of the planet, no matter when they were, what time, you know, in history they were born or what culture they're in, they have access to this sense of justice. Mm. It's unshakable certainty, right? You you can't escape it. It's a gift of God post fall mm. that in a fallen world we have this sense we want and desire justice. That's a certainty. Yeah. There's not a culture on the face of the planet where somebody comes and kills your child, you're going to go, thank you. I'm just so glad that you alleviated mm-hmm. me from having children. Right. right? There's not a culture on the planet. Everybody say, you stole from me my child. I mean, you can, and you can even build from that, and there are a whole variety of other things that people desire justice for. Mm-hmm. God has made a universe of certainty. Right? There, it's built in to everything. We just like to, uh, we like uncertainty. Doubt, doubt and unbelief... Satan, he likes uncertainty. Yeah, it gives. Well, I mean, we uh, we can see it all the way back in Genesis three. Uh-huh. Did God really say? Right. Well, there's some there's some uncertainty there, even now, though God had he had said it. Adam and Eve were supposed to have doctrinal certainty, and the the devil comes in and, and makes them doubt and question, right. and then he just completely, you know, flat out contradicts. You can have certainty about the wrong things, mm-hmm. um, but that's part of that's just part of your fallen sin nature. Yeah. People are certain about wrong things all the time. We want to we want to be certain about what God has revealed. Yeah. Um, if God's revealed something to us, then then uh, we can believe it. Yeah, we have and, to have revelation. Mm-hmm. It, it's really the most certain thing in the universe. There's a there's a you know I'm interested in reading about like. Artificial intelligence, the human brain, consciousness, all that. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious about it right now. So I've been been trying to read up on it. Um, there's a big problem, right? If you don't if you don't believe in what we believe, that revelation comes external from us, from a divine mind, a divine person or persons, uh, but a divine mind given to us revelation. What you end up in is this big. This, this this big trap, and all you know, scientists are aware of it. Um, that you can't even be aware that the universe wasn't created or didn't pop into existence this morning, and every thought in your mind is not real, hmm. and that I'm not real. I'm just a figment of what's going on inside your mind. The only thing that actually could be real, possibly, is your consciousness. In a simulated universe, like there's no there's no tangible way they say to prove that you can't do it. 
Yeah. You can't prove that another consciousness exists, mm -hmm. or even that yours does. Yeah. You can't get at it at the scientific with this, using the scientific method. Mm -hmm. So anytime you try to argue with it or to prove it using the scientific method, you're just arguing in a big circle, and you get trapped. Um, all knowledge, at the end of the day, comes down to circular type of reasoning. Mm -hmm. We say yes, we can know because there is a sure foundation. There is a intelligence beyond ours that has revealed to us the true nature of reality. So once you go down this uncertainty place that Fisher is trying to say is a, is like a is virtuous, mm -hmm. virtuous uncertainty, just coined a new term. Um, your the place you can end up is doubting everything. Mm -hmm. Literally everything, and that's this is not a, an, an exaggeration. People do it all the time. You just read through uh, philosophy and philosophers, mm -hmm. the things they started to think of. Just watch the Matrix. How do you know that you're not just plugged into a computer yeah. simulation and none of this is real? Well, you don't. Well, in their world, you can't know that you're not. Mm -hmm. That's the point. Right. Um, but those philosophers that initially started going down those roads <clears throat> first gave up on the certainty that God's revealed word was true. Mm -hmm. That's the first turn that had to happen um, after the Enlightenment. Right. So, oh, Rango, he just needs a little water. <laughs> He'll be all right. All right. Do you want to jump into this? Let's talk about election, right. shall we? We're, we're at... We're at the forty-one minute mark. So forty-one minutes in, man. Should we just so wrap this one and start a new one? <laughs> Free for all Friday episode of random. Should we, Larry? What do you think? Should we kill it? <laughs> Boom, and then we just have two bonus episode. What do you think? What do you want, George? You want to just keep going? Just keep going. Huh? Oh my goodness! Whatever you want to do, Jay. <sighs> I'll tell you what. Let's split it. I mean, 40, 42 minutes is an entire podcast. Mm -hmm. Nah, you know what? We'll just keep going. Why not? You got to have some we certainty. Gotta meet Joe Rogan. Got, I need I need you to have some certainty. You know, Jay. you know I I want to I want to <laughs> have the uh I want to have the world record for the longest podcast ever recorded. So oh, let's yeah. keep going. Do you want <laughs> Did you ever find out what Joe Rogan's longest oh, uh, I can do longest podcast I can, was? I can certainly find Did out. <laughs> I don't know if we're ready for that. Yeah, let's see. What do you think the topic was? Take a guess. Oh, I don't know. Hmm. What are the longest and shortest podcast, Joe Rogan? Let's see. Uh, man, I can't find it. I'm going to have to do some digging. Uh -huh, right. There's no point. Yeah. Four hours. That's Four that's hours? It. I think it's four hours, yeah. Oh. Longest podcast ever, four hours. Yeah, we need to. That's what it, it came from. Joe order, order some pizza. It actually or came from Joe Rogan's uh, Twitter. He said it's the longest podcast. Wow, and it was with Kevin Smith. Uh, oh yeah, um, I don't know who that guy. A comedian, I guess. Mm -hmm. Kevin Smith, a comedian. Yeah, well, we could, we could, we can definitely do that. <laughs> doctrine of election. All right, let's jump into this. The doctrine of election. This is a. This is obviously another controversial um, topic, part of theology. And what's interesting, again, as we talk about this stuff, is how how easily people slip into misrepresentations. 
So don't want to do that. Hopefully we won't do that either. But people, they slip into these misrepresentations. And this is this is tangled up with a whole lot of other ideas and other, other components of theology. And so what we want to do is, I guess let's start with stating the fact that election is undeniable in the Bible. Okay, every, every person that is a Christian in history has a doctrine of election. There's, there's not, if you're one of these people that says, I don't believe in election outright, then you just, you just don't believe in the Bible at all. Right? Everyone has, a, believes in election because it is so clearly taught in the Bible. Now, there are different, there are really three main different um, beliefs about election, and I guess we'll get into those. There are, uh, there's are the Arminian view of election, there's the Molinist view of election, and there's the traditional Calvinist view of election. So we want to get oh, into goodness. those three. Are we going to get into Molinism today? We'll do a little bit, yeah. But so here's the deal. I don't you, have you, enough coffee here, Jay. <laughs> well, I mean, we just got to, man. There's no, there's no other way around it. You can have a sip of my Mountain Dew if you want. Yeah. Uh, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Mm-hmm. You've heard that right. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this appears to be what this debate is about. <clears throat> election. What happened first? Did God elect us first and then later we believe? Or did, did we believe and then God saw that we believed and then he elected us? So what came first, the chicken or the egg? But in reality, it's this, George. Who's the chicken? <laughs> because everybody knows the chicken came first. The chicken came first. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's reality. So the argument on this is not what came first, the chicken or the egg, theologically. The question is, who's the chicken? And what I mean by that is, who decides? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, who's sovereign? Mm-hmm. That's what it all comes down to, really. So we need to jump into this idea of election. Um, but before we do, I'm just curious. When was the first time you became aware of a doctrine of unconditional election because this is our point like we'll put all the cards on the table we mm-hmm. believe in unconditional election mm-hmm. so we'll argue for biblically today do you know when the first time you discovered it, this doctrine um i mean it, we talked about this last time um i started listening to you know rc sproul john MacArthur, mm-hmm. and it it just kind of all came at the same time mm-hmm. um I, again, this was something that just wasn't even on my radar until after college. I, like you said, everybody's got to believe in some doctrine of election because the word is in the Bible. Like a lot. Elect. And the concept happens a lot. <clears throat> um, but for some reason, it just was, I just, I just didn't pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Probably because uh, I didn't go to a I didn't go to churches where they were just preaching through preaching books of through the Bible. Books of the Bible. Yeah, so the the topic of election just never came up because well, right. who's going to talk about that? No, you know, we don't we don't want to have that doctrinal certainty, Jay. So right, right. Uh, we're just not going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I I just didn't even know about it until probably two thousand five or six. Okay. And then, right. then it all just kind of uh-huh. hit me at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, same as we as I talked about last time with you. Just um, reading, uh, encountered that book, Reformed Doctrine of Predestination. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of my initial. Well, initially it was from the Bible, 
Like I told you before, as I started reading the Bible, mm. after I was converted, I had all these questions, and I'd write these words down. Mm. So I'd write down, like, predestination, like election, stuff I just didn't understand. Mm-hmm. It was there. Sent me on a, a journey yeah. <laughs> as I looked these words up. Um, and I became more and more curious, and it became, like, like magnetically attracted mm. to uh, understand the doctrine of the Bible. Like yeah. it's, I was sucked in. Mm. I could not escape. Like, and I loved every second of it. Still do. Still love to uh, to dive in and to see how the Bible, what God has revealed to us in His Word, and how it all fits together perfectly. And it becomes like a solid rock. I mean, something that maybe would give you certainty in mm. this unstable life. Right. It's pretty amazing. Well, let's start with this first idea. Election is in the Bible. It's undeniable. Mm. So, anyone who would say, hey, "Look, that's the Calvinist thing." We start in the Old Testament. Who do you think is the first? Explicitly elected person. Explicitly elected? No, I mean after Adam, obviously, because <laughs> he's the first human. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's the first he human didn't, He didn't ask to be born. Yeah, he, I mean, <laughs> hey, uh, I didn't ask for you to give me the entire universe, <laughs> right. but uh, I guess I'll take it. Yeah. All right. After Adam. Explicitly? Yeah, who, who do we see as elected? <sighs> uh, you know, I would... I lean towards Abel, mm-hmm. but explicitly, I would say Noah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, because we might could, we could look at uh, Cain and Abel, and it's not a, it's not it's not, quite a, it's not quite as explicit. It's it's more it's more on their their responsibility mm-hmm. side. Um, but you know, reading back uh, as the Bible unfolds, mm-hmm. we can say, well, God chose Abel mm-hmm. and not Cain, but Noah. Noah's the Noah's the first one. Yeah. No one in his family, they're chosen for what reason? You got a whole planet of pagans that are like apparently inbred with Nephilim giants, <laughs> right. and, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Well, you know, it's, we have to take the Bible mm-hmm. at at its face value, right? Um, so a lot, of, pe- a lot of people would... principle or what? It, right. You know, a lot of people would would jump to verse um, nine of, of Genesis chapter six. Well, it says Noah was a righteous man, mm-hmm. blameless in, in his generation. Noah walked with God. So God chose Noah because Noah was a righteous, a righteous person. Mm-hmm. You can't skip verse eight, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And the word favor is just the word grace. grace. Yeah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So, God's grace comes first, uh-huh. um, and that's that's why God chose Noah, right? Yeah. Okay, so there's one. What about next? Um, you just go to Abraham. Well, or do you got someone in between? Sh- I would say Shem. Okay, I would say Shem, and in, in Genesis chapter nine, mm-hmm. um, you've got the you've got this weird story of of uh, Noah getting drunk and uh, Ham sees his nakedness there's debate over what that means we won't right. go into that um but noah curses ham it's mm-hmm. it's genesis 3 all over again yeah like here's a new world noah's a new adam um he takes fruit he sins with it he's naked there's a curse it's, it's just genesis 3 all over again but um just like genesis 3 in the midst of a curse there's uh there's a promise of a blessing mm-hmm. and uh, blessed be the lord the god of shem and let Canaan be his descendants. Like, where'd that come from? Mm-hmm. Like, 
why is Shem all of a sudden exalted to this superior position among his his brothers? Mm. Well, it's, it's election. Mm. And from Shem comes the line of Abraham and Israel. Right. And ultimately Jesus. Mm. But it it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, okay, I get I get what's going on with Ham, but yeah. why, what's going on with Shem? There's election going on there. So these might be like a little bit more... Uh, let's say like, like they're not as explicitly revealed. I think one that I'm trying to get inside the mind of an objector to election. I don't think anybody would object that Israel's the chosen people of God. Uh huh. There's not. A, I don't think there's anybody that would that would object to that. Right. It's clear in the Old Testament. But this starts starts with with Abraham, mm-hmm. right? Who is just a he's from modern day Iraq yeah. area, mm-hmm. and uh, God chooses this pagan guy. There's oh, no, is well, there any evidence that he's not a pagan? Uh, there's there is actually evidence that he is a pagan. Right. Right. Um, Joshua he says that. Um, where is it? Joshua twenty four verse two. Um, Joshua said to all the people, "Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel: Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods." Right. So we we have an explicit reference to the paganism of. Of Abraham's family, and God's like, all right, I'm going to take this pagan and I'm going to make him, I'm going to choose him from all these people, and through him, I'm going to change world history. Right. But it's going to it's going to take some time to get there. So here comes Abraham. Hey, Abraham, go to a land that I've chosen for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got a chosen man with a chosen land, and so he goes. He just simply believes God, and it's counted to him as righteousness. Mm. That's what we learn as the Bible unfolds. But there's nothing about Abraham. He's not like surveying the landscape and say, you know what, that pagan, he he's not as pagan as the others. (laughs) I'll take that one, right? So unconditionally, he sets his favor, his grace upon Abraham. As the story of Abraham's line unfolds, we obviously get explicitly to the nation of Israel, Mm -hmm. who is undoubtedly God's chosen people of all the people of the face of the earth. So we have in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8, we read, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And we might say, well, maybe that's because they were just a better people or whatever. Then he says in verse 7, It was not because you were more numerous, more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So why did why were they chosen? Because he loved them. Mm-hmm. That's it. Because he chose to set his love on a people. And based upon what God had already done with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, well, he, De- and, Deuteronomy he, chapter 9, verse 5, he, 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 says, he says it again. Right. And, and he explicitly says it's not because of your righteousness. Uh-huh. Right. Um, but because God is confirming the word that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so Abraham's chosen, the people of Israel chosen. Um, how about David? Mm-hmm. David is chosen. Um, Saul is an absolute train wreck uh, of a human being um, in every measurable way, apparently. And so God says, "I'm gonna, I'll choose a new king." And so they go to, and we have to, we have to keep. 
we have to avoid just proof texting uh-huh. because it would be easy to say, well, yeah, God chose a new king because Saul was this bad king. Right. So he's looking for a, a good, you know, righteous person instead of this uh-huh. wicked person. And yeah, there's that. that's part of the story, but expand it. Uh-huh. Um, in Genesis chapter 49, um, as Jacob is blessing his, his sons, he prophesies that a king is going to come from Judah. Uh, Numbers chapter 24, Balaam prophesying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh-huh. um, that a, a king is coming from Judah. Mm-hmm. So when in uh, in 1 Samuel, there's this king who is from the tribe of Benjamin, mm-hmm. we should already be saying, that's not the second. king. Yeah. That's that's not the one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially especially if you're if you're again, it's 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 good for people to read, starting in Genesis and just reading through because you get the end of Judges. You've got the tribe of Benjamin that is almost wiped out because of they become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, so when there's a king from Benjamin, you should be like, <laughs> I don't know about this guy, uh-huh. and then he just he just acts like you would expect him to act. Um, so you you should already be saying something else is going on here uh, because the king's supposed to come from Judah anyway. He's not supposed to come from Benjamin, right? right. Um, so then you get to to David, and now God's purposes are are becoming clear, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so David David is not only chosen above Saul. Uh, but all his brothers. Mm-hmm. So if, if we're going to choose according to how man would choose, you have all these brothers ahead of David, and he's the youngest one. He's yeah. the one that you wouldn't have mm. chosen had you gone do the choosing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so God chooses him. Um, so election is explicitly all throughout the old Bible or the Old Testament, mm-hmm. the old Bible, the old Bible, the old Bible. <laughs> yep. But now we come to the and new- we're and we're skipping stuff. Yeah, we can't. <laughs> There's, we can't I be mean, in here forever. God, God is is doing all kinds of things. Oh, he choose pagan kings too oh, to yeah. accomplish his will. Mm. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Right. Moses obviously is mm-hmm. chosen. Yep. Um, Aaron. I mean, it, yeah, it's just all all throughout. Yeah. Uh, we come to the new covenant. Okay. And we get so, to the New Testament, and God doesn't choose. Yeah, yeah. People, people are anymore. like, throw it out the window. <laughs> hey, we're done with the with the choosing. Uh, but it's still it's still here. It's still explicitly taught in the Bible. Um, let's let's give a few verses, I guess, that we could we could give to folks, uh, so that we could just establish that um, election predestination are one hundred percent in the Bible. This is not us making things up. Mm. So um, I guess you can go to you go ahead and go to Romans, yeah. and I'll go to Ephesians. Okay. Yeah, Ephesians chapter one. Uh, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And then he goes on to talk about how this election, then uh, that's the work of the Father. Then he goes to the work of the Son and dying for us to redeem him, to redeem us through his blood. Then he moves to the Spirit, who then applies the work of Christ to us, which was as also the application of the election of the Father. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing beginning of a book. 
But the words yeah. are here. Chosen. Predestined. Which is the word for election. election. Right. And the word predestined uh, is here. The, this happened beforehand. Uh, I think it might be helpful for people to understand that the word chosen um, or election is um, it's not necessarily a translation. It's it's um, it's just it's just carrying over the word electos, <clears throat> mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's it's not it's not some like Calvinist right. made up word. Yeah, it's not made up word. It's just means to choose. Yeah. Yeah. So Romans, then there's Romans 9, obviously. Romans 9, when, when I was, when I started listening to, to R.C. Sproul and, and he was, he was talking about predestination, um, I, I tried to push against it. Mm-hmm. I, I tried to, to wiggle out of it. Um, but Romans 9 is the passage that I, I just couldn't get around. I kept coming back to it and I, I kept trying to, um, read it the way that these non-Calvinists were were trying to get me to read it, and it just didn't make any sense. Right. Uh, just like uh, we talked about last time, that that debate with uh, James White and, and uh, Leighton Flowers yeah. on Romans nine. Um, Leighton Flowers he immediately had to go somewhere else mm-hmm. in the text, and James White he just had his Greek New Testament. He just he just walked through Romans nine. He just exegeted it. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the strength of I think the reform position is that you just read it and just take it for what it says, mm-hmm. right? Um, Romans nine is connected to Romans eight. Um, it, it's not like the separate thing. So well, yeah. We, and you back up got, to Romans eight. You have predestined mentioned again. Yeah, yeah. Um, the those whom uh, God foreknew. I will probably have to come. Yeah, back we're gonna and, have to talk, talk about, about that. that. Him, he predestined. Uh, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those he, whom he predestined, he called. Those he called, he uh, justified. Those he justified, um, he glorified. Right? And then we've got the big, that big section at the end of, of Romans 8 that uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Mm-hmm. Romans 9 is answering an objection to the end of Romans 8. Right. Like, okay, um, you're saying nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What about all these Israelites who are not believing? Right. 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 God's given them all these promises, and they're perishing. What do we do with that? Mm-hmm. So Paul is actually answering an objection to Romans 8 right. in Romans 9. Uh-huh. And I, I think if we get that, what he's saying unfolds for us. It okay. should. So he, he begins in verses 1 through 5 with um, just bearing his heart for the people of Israel mm-hmm. that they have the they have the covenants they have the patriarchs they have the temple all of it they've, they've got all the promises right but he says in verse 6 but it is not as though the word of god has failed there's his his uh, answer to the the objection right for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Mm-hmm. So, um, his answer to that: What about all these these you know Jewish people that are rejecting Christ? He's saying that just because you're an Israelite doesn't mean that you're 
elect mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you're you're chosen. And he right. he starts with uh, he starts with Isaac. Um, Isaac's not the only son, right? There um, was an, yeah. Abraham had Dude. a child with Hagar mm-hmm. and Ishmael. Um, and when God get when God's promising things to Abraham, Abraham says, "May may Ishmael always stand before you." And God says, "No, it's not Ishmael, but I'm going to come back, and and Sarah's going to have a child, and he's the one mm-hmm. that the promises are going to belong to." Right. Right. So not Ishmael, but Isaac. Mm-hmm. Um, says uh, for. Uh, goes on in verse 9 and says this is what the promise said about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. Right? So there's yeah, election. There, there is. Uh, and not only so but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man our forefather Isaac though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of works but because of him who calls she was told the older will serve the younger as it is written Jacob I love but Esau I hated. Um, so, uh, he's, he's Paul, given, Paul's brilliant. So you, you could think, well, Abraham, he had two children, but they weren't from the same woman. Right. Now, now he says, saying. well, now it's, it's Isaac and Rebecca and not only that, but there's twins. Right. 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 Um, and God chooses before they're even born, he chooses Isaac, not Esau, or, uh, Jacob, not Esau. It's not the one that came out first. Right. The way we would choose. Right. And then he quotes from Malachi chapter one. Um, mm-hmm. He gives two two human examples. Yeah. Now we'll come back to this, and we're we're going to interact with some other verses here in a little bit. But mm. I want to show this Greg Lowry clip, um, and then we'll use that. We'll jump into let's explain election according to Arminian how they would do it. Okay. And then we'll answer it biblically, and then we'll look at Molinism, and then we'll finish on what we believe is true about election, what is most biblical, um, unconditional election. So here's this clip of Greg Lowry. You know much about Greg Lowry? He's pretty popular, I guess. You know... Really popular. He's He is really popular. I know the SBC has used his stuff before. He had like a harvest. He does like a harvest That's, America or whatever. Yeah, it's like... A, I don't know if it's like a little denomination or, or I don't, what. I don't harvest know. Churches of America? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I know that he... Uh, they. The SBC partnered with him years ago, and he did like one of his Harvest Crusades before the the convention. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but I, I I don't know. I don't really know much about him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I if he's a, if Harvest means like evangelistic, mm-hmm. I can't, I'm all about that. But I do have issues with the way he presents some of these things. But want to present it because I think he represents a place where many people like to stand, and that is. I can't really understand this. Like, I can't grab, grasp, put my head around all of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to say it can't be that or it is this way, and I'm fine with it. Yeah. Like, they're both there. No, you know, do- whatever. no doctrinal certainty. Yeah. So let's check it out. Did I lose the volume again? I think you turned it down. There we go. You know, some people get so tied up in theological pretzels over the teaching of free will and predestination. What do those terms mean? Well, predestination means that God knows everything, God decides everything, and God chooses us before we choose him. Predestined. In fact, Jesus even said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you, and you would go forth 
and bring forth much fruit. But then there's free will. All those verses in the Bible that appeal to our will, John 3, 16, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, Revelation 22, whosoever will let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Christ himself saying, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we get confused. We go, wait, wait, do we choose or does God predestine us? And the teaching of Calvinism uh, which is usually called total depravity, uh, means that you're so depraved and dead in your sin, you don't even have the ability to choose at all. You have to be awakened by the Spirit if you've been chosen by God, and you better just hope you have not been predestined to hell. So, <laughs> we'll, okay. we'll have I, was to come with back. I was with him yeah. until that last, uh, that we'll, last statement. We'll have to come back to talk about this, because uh, he gives a... Um, I think a big mis- misrepresentation here, mm-hmm. and it's called equal ultimacy, mm-hmm. which I don't. I I have yet to meet someone in person who actually believes in equal ultimacy, though I know many people have in history, I guess. But notice what he does here. Um, I'll replay it. Let's see. You don't even have the ability to choose at all. You have to all right. be awake. That's incorrect. Total depravity doesn't mean you don't have the ability to choose at all. Mm-hmm. It means you will always choose under your own will to reject God. Mm-hmm. You will choose. Right. You will always choose wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, and it is what you most desire. What you most desire is not God. So Calvinism, Calvinism does not deny that you make a choice. Mm-hmm. It says that your choice is bound by your sin. And so you will not choose God because you don't love him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that we have to clarify. See, that's how. See the subtle misrepresentations. Okay. By the Spirit, if you've been chosen by God, and you better just hope you have not been predestined to hell. That's that's another. Believe, that's another. Some believe that right. you're. Pre- that's another misrepresentation. Yes. That there are some people who are choo- who want to choose Christ, but God's like, no, you're not. Yeah, I chose. You're not better. elect. I predestined right? you to hell. So yeah. So you're just not uh, well, you're just just tough luck, right? You you lost. You didn't win the lottery. There is no one who has ever wanted to be saved mm-hmm. that didn't get saved. <laughs> right. That's that. you want you want to be saved, you come to Christ, you you are saved. God never says, "Uh, you know what? But mm-hmm. I actually predestined you to hell." It's not a thing. This is a me- another misrepresentation of Calvinism. I'm right. surprised that we have this debate has been going on for all of these years. Yeah, the straw men just keep popping up. Well, and I don't, what they've I don't been, they've mean been is, answered. They've been answered a billion times, and they still they still keep popping up. And I know it's because I I know this from personal interactions with people, and I think I think we all can be guilty of it. We don't read the actual proponents of the side we disagree with. Mm-hmm. Like you'll read you'll read non Calvinist arguments against Calvinism and you just kind of take their 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 arguments as well this was a Calvinist belief instead of actually going to a Calvinist and saying well is that is that what they actually believe or is this is this a misrepresentation mm-hmm. so if we don't read actual proponents of the other side it, we just have to be really careful that we don't twist what people are saying mm-hmm. and I think that's what happens. Because these 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 are straw man arguments that have been answered. They'll, they'll throw stuff out. I mean, how many times do you hear John three sixteen being lobbed like this grenade that's going to decimate Calvinism? Right. Like, oh, we've we've never even thought about John three sixteen before. That's that's totally new for us. Mm-hmm. Um, because they haven't, you know, they 
they probably haven't researched what Calvinists say about John three sixteen. Right. Like we we know John three sixteen. Mm-hmm. How many sermons did you preach on John three sixteen? Three? Who four? Knows? Who knows? You, you preached more than one. I know you preached more than I one. Know this I was pre- before we merged, but I I remember. No, I know I preached one, and a guy thought I was an Arminian afterward. Yeah. <laughs> and then he came back the next week, and he was like, you're definitely a Calvinist. Are you a schizophrenic? <laughs> like, well, I just I just preach what's in the text. Yeah, just so. what's in the text. Yeah, right? I don't need to explain. I don't need to apologize for God. So R- Romans 3 says... None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Mm-hmm. But you get to Romans chapter 10, and it says... Everyone who calls everyone upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah. Those aren't... <laughs> right. Those aren't even in different books. Yeah. If you're going to call us schizophrenic, you have to call Paul schizophrenic, because no one seeks God. That's, that is, uh, that's a universal, Right. I like to I like to preach like Jesus did. He just gives a, a, an offer to everyone, yeah. knowing full well no one's coming to him unless they were given to him by the Father. That's the way I preach. I, I want to preach like that. I want to give it. I want and I want to plead with people. And I'm going to make it urgent. Well, we probably should pump the brake. So we're going to get into effectual call, <laughs> right? But <laughs> well, we talked all, about they how they, we together. talked how they how they you know we can't really separate them as if well that's. That's why we'll we'll talk next week about limited atonement and well, I, know, so people so, want to people want to take it out and say, well, I can believe these, but I can't believe this one. I'm going to leverage every ability that God has given me to persuade someone to become a Christian, and that's the language Paul uses to persuade. Um, I'm not going to manipulate, right. and I'm not going to like dim the lights and add fog, and I'm not going to do that stuff. I'm going to stick with God's prescribed means of bringing his people to himself, which mm. is just preaching. God chose that means, not me, so <laughs> don't think I'm a weird Calvinist if I try to leverage the means he gave mm. to remove the blindness, That even though I know that I can't, that the Spirit has to work, but I'm going to try. Yeah. I'm going to tr- try to convince people to become a Christian. Is that yeah. a shocker? Right. Listen to schizophrenic Jesus. That he he quotes. You know he 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 cited this at that time. Jesus declared, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will." There's there is right. election, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. You, you've and it's it's active. God hid these things from the the you know the quote wise people, yeah, the religious the wise leaders. Of the day. Um, and revealed them to others, to mm-hmm. the, the least expected, right? That's right. election. Mm-hmm. Right? But then he goes on and he says, well, he says, uh, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That's yeah. That's total depravity. That's election. Tell, tell us the and, verse. Tell and us then, the verse. And then Jesus... He says, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Right? Yeah, yeah. Those aren't those aren't uh, those aren't separated by a lot of stuff. Like the context is Jesus praising God for election, mm-hmm. and then turning around and telling everyone who's listening, anyone who's who is burdened, come to me, and I'll give you rest. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's get back into this clip. Okay. Cast into hell, and others are predestined. And you better just hope you have not been predestined to hell. 
because they believe, some believe that you're predestined to hell and others are predestined to heaven. I reject that completely. I've never met, 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 some, met somebody that uh, would hold to those in equal, in that the way. way he presented it mm-hmm. is, is what is called equal ultimate. Let's just deal with it now. Equal ultimacy mm-hmm. is what it's called. So in this, in this view, as he presented the view of Calvinism, which is incorrect, um, God actually works to save us. That's, that's how we're saved. Mm-hmm. God through means and through a whole variety of things, where you were born, how you heard the gospel, and when you heard the gospel, the Spirit moved, awakening you, giving you uh, a new heart to believe. So God is actively at work in saving a person. This view says that God predestines somebody to hell in the same way he predestines someone to uh, eternal life, and then he actually works in that person's life to ensure that that thing takes place. Right, <laughs> right. The, the the Bible never ever says that. the The way that he presents it is this idea that humanity is just neutral, mm-hmm. and well, these these you know nasty Calvinists come along and they say, out of this neutral humanity, God predestines some to hell and some to to heaven right now I, I i hold to double predestination i have to i mean if i i mean i, I high view of sovereignty is mm-hmm. i think going to say double predestination like if if he actively chooses some to go to heaven then he is choosing people to go to hell but like you said this equal ultimacy the humanity is not neutral mm-hmm. he's not he's not choosing people who are neutral he's choosing out of fallen humanity right like all of humanity is heading to hell mm-hmm. already <laughs> if god did nothing we would all perish mm-hmm. um and then gr- so graciously out of that fallen humanity that's already choosing to reject god who already hates god god graciously chooses some out of that for eternal life. Right. But if he didn't choose anybody, we'd all go to hell. Right. So it's it, the way that I understand it uh, best for me is to understand that uh, not, not doing something is not equal to actually actively doing something. Mm-hmm. So I believe God actively chooses. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, his not choosing of someone. Um, it ensures that they go the way that they want to go. Mm-hmm. So that's what you have to make clear in your mind. In your in your mind, and according to the Bible, all of humanity has fallen in sin. Mm-hmm. We are all running toward hell of our own will. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if God doesn't snatch me up and take me off of that course, that's complete justice. Mm-hmm. I'm getting exactly what I deserve. Right. And I'm not only getting what I deserve, I'm getting what I want, mm-hmm. getting what my heart most wants. Right which is to run away from God, and the end result of that will be eternal separation from him and eternal punishment in hell. Now, if God chooses not to rescue me from that, that's his prerogative, and it's a just thing. Mm-hmm. So the way right. he presents it here, he is he is becoming the man who would raise and have an accusation against God as if God is unjust 
He's, he becomes the man in Romans nine. Uh, well, I've got a I've got a tweet. Um, you see what that I mean? We can we can shoot to that one and then go back to your video if okay. you want to. Um, we talked about soteriology one hundred and one before. Late right. flowers, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, they they tweeted this um, last week to uh, quote Proverbs twenty four twenty three to show partiality and judgment is not good. Explain how predetermining one twin to go to hell and the other to heaven before they do anything good or bad as. Hashtag Calvinism's application of that text is applied, isn't showing partiality in judgment. Right? And this is Francis Turretin. He's a Calvinist on Twitter. He responded and he said, that moment when a Calvinist tries to explain Romans 9, 10 through 13 to you, and you immediately respond with, is, is there unrighteousness with God? Don't be the objector of Romans 9, 14. Right. <laughs> like they just, they just gave the same objection that Paul argues against in Romans chapter 9. I've had this happen to me several times. Mm. As I was explaining to someone uh, what I believed and what, and I wasn't using Romans chapter 9, I had had a person literally in a car once clench their fists and say to me that that God he Mm. could not believe in was unfair. And unjust, and so then I was like, "Oh, weird." Well, let's let's <laughs> right. let's see what you just became. You just became right. the man in Romans nine. Yeah, and that's how I know that what I just said to you is biblical. Mm-hmm. Is there an injustice on God's part? By no means. By no means. Yeah. <laughs> so if your theology removes the objection that Paul foresees in Romans nine, mm. um, your theology is wrong. Yeah. Um, the the question that we shouldn't be asking is, well, why did God why did God not choose Esau? The question should be, why did He choose Jacob? Because Jacob is a liar and a cheat. Right. Um, he Jacob's not some kind of nice guy. God but, chooses out of two fallen people to show mercy to one, and the other, he he leaves them to what he wants. I think people that that um, have a problem with God deciding to save someone, because that's what we're saying. We're saying that everyone's headed. To, everyone's headed to hell. The entire human race, dead in sin, headed to hell. God decides to do a rescue mission mm. and save people to save some. Um, that's his prerogative. And then, fallen man says, "That's not fair. You should save everybody." <laughs> yeah. Right. That. Thus revealing again their own depravity, Mm. thinking that they're special and deserve to be saved, whereas the sinner goes, I can't believe that you would save somebody like me. Mm. Why would you save me? I was a rebel. I love sin. I didn't love you. I was running away from you, and yet you saved me, and you gave me the best gift of the universe and completely changed my mind and my heart, my will, everything. You could have left me alone. I'd have been lost forever. Why did you save me? And that's grace, and that's mercy. Um, the other person will say, well, God should save me. <laughs> I'm not that bad. Yeah. I'm not that bad. What, who wouldn't want to be with me for eternity? Right? So, all right, let's keep going. God has not predestined anyone for hell. Because the Bible says that God is not willing to... Maybe Pharaoh? Can we at least get one? Can we establish one and work from there? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it. Can we? <laughs> it liter- uh, 
for this very purpose, for this very purpose, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Mm. And then Paul says, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Mm-hmm. He's talking about Pharaoh. Right. <sighs> that an individual person. We're not talking about, like, yeah. that's the objection, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about nations here. Mm-hmm. Well, why are we keep, why we keep using individuals as right. illustrations? Right. Yeah. So. Um, the, I mean, there's, there's the problem with, his presentation is that it's very man-centered. If God wants to do something, who are we to talk back to him and say, no, you can't do that. Who are you, old man, to answer back to God? You know, it's the, yeah, that's the other objection, right? Um, You know, this, this idea that, well, God, God has to be fair to everyone. He has Mm -hmm. to be, if he's going to do it for one person, he has to do it to everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. No, he doesn't. Right. Like he's, we wouldn't, let's take a lesser example. Um, before a president leaves office, he usually issues some pardons, uh-huh. right? Does he, if he issues one pardon, does he have to pardon everybody who's in prison right now? Of course not. No one, who's arguing that he's got to, he's got to do it for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's just the president of the United States. That's right. not even a king, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you were to go to a country that has like an absolute monarch, they don't have to do it, just because they do it to one person doesn't mean they have to do it to everyone. They don't have to show mercy to everybody. They can pardon the guilty too, like not like, hey, yeah. this is this right. is like a little gray. We're not for sure, mm-hmm. you know. But he's he's now about to go on death row. He gets a pardon. No, a king can be like, oh, well. Yeah. I'm going to set my love upon you and grace upon you as a king, and uh, I'm going to forgive you mm. and let you go free. And then we, you know, we we come to God, and and it's like, well, if He shows mercy to one person, He's got to show mercy to everybody, right? No, He doesn't. He doesn't have to show mercy to anybody, and He would not be unjust. It that that's not injustice. If God didn't save a single person, mm. yeah, He's He's, he's still just. good. He's still good, right? Well, just is good. Always yeah. will be. Yeah, he's good. He'd still be love. Um, yeah. He. Or if he saved one person, mm-hmm. yeah, which would be uh, any person that he saves is right. Unimaginable grace. Yeah. Let's keep going. Any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And some will take it so far as to say, well, I don't even want to preach the gospel because I might give false assurance to the non-elect. Are you serious? He's never... You're not serious. You're not serious. He has never met a hyper-Calvinist. Never. I've never met a single person on planet Earth that ever believed that. I have met, I think, a hyper-Calvinist. And they said some pretty suspicious things. Yeah. Um, but Greg Lardy's never met a hyper Calvinist. They're they're around, but they're not they're not prominent. There's not there's not there's not a, a big big body of hyper Calvinists around there that are like, Well, we can't we can't preach the gospel to them. We don't know if they're elect. I've you know. Yeah. No, he has he hasn't he hasn't met that. That's another straw man. Mm. This is like everyone saying, you know, that there are still like giants in Afghanistan. 
There could be, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose in some of those caves there's... There, there are hyper-Calvinists, but they're not... They're not around every corner. They well, used to be more prominent. Like uh, Spurgeon, he had a big controversy with right. the hyper-Calvinists, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's a there's an excellent book by Ian Murray, uh, Spurgeon versus the hyper-Calvinists. Right. Um, it's, it's a great book to read. Um, but Greg Laurie hasn't. Mm-hmm. He, he, not the way that he's presenting it. If he's met a hyper-Calvinist, he has not I met can't. a bunch of guys that are like, well, we can't do this. Yeah, yeah. Who who connects? Who makes that logic in their own mind? Here's God clearly clearly telling you to evangelize and to <laughs> preach the gospel to every creature, and you go, "Nah, I don't think I will." Could give false assurance to somebody who's not elect. <laughs> right. I would say that person who believes that's probably not a Christian. It's like that great. All. It's like that great story with right? R.C. Sproul. Yeah. Uh, was was it Gerstner that was the professor? I think, I think it was Gerstner that was going around in class. Mm. Why, if God is sovereign over salvation, then why should we evangelize? Right. And he went from, I don't know, I don't know. He gets to R.C. Sproul, and R.C. Sproul says, well, uh, you know, this isn't the answer you're looking for, but uh, I guess you could say because God told us to. <laughs> right. And Gerstner. And that's the question. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> God tells us to. Yeah. And, you know. <laughs> Maybe we should do it. Right. <laughs> maybe, maybe we ought to. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The objection the objection of hyper Calvinism is a, to all the world. Yeah. But the objection of hyper Calvinism is it's a straw man for the yeah. most part. I mean, he may have run across a hyper Calvinist somewhere. Um, but I I highly doubt it. You know what's interesting is people people that always bring these up, they fail to mention the people who believed un, in unconditional election mm. and you might could actually label them well according to today's world like they try to label them a hyper calvinist but then you're like oh but their name's George Whitfield yeah, and George, George Whitfield, Whitfield William Carey uh, Adoniram Judson Did you know that when George Whitfield was preaching in America like 90% of all adults heard him preach in the colonies Oh really That's bonkers That is That is absolute bonkers dude Wow Can you imagine if he were alive in the technological age mm. He'd probably evangelize the whole world. Yeah, I, you know you've got uh, you've got people that will say, well, you know, sinners in the hands of angry God was it was instrumental to the first great awakening and this great revival. Jonathan Edwards was a solid Calvinist. All right, you got Spurgeon. You got you got people that want William, to, William Carey. They want to use Spurgeon, um, but yeah. Spurgeon he said that Calvinism is just a nickname for the gospel. I mean. You can't, they, you can't have it both ways. Like, you can't stop saying that Calvinists don't evangelize. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a bold faced lie. You remember? Um, this was probably five years ago uh, when Paige Patterson wrote the thing about how Calvin sent out like a like a couple of dozen missionaries. Yeah. And he acted like, well, this is the fruit of of Calvinism, right? Is that Calvin wasn't big on evangelism. But if you just do a little bit of research, he sent out thousands, thousands, <laughs> thousands of, of missionaries. missionaries from Geneva mm-hmm. who went back to countries that that killed them mm-hmm. for the sake of the gospel. Right. Like, I don't know why they they feel the need to just make these these very easily discredited lies against mm-hmm. Calvinism as if Calvinists aren't evangelistic. Right. Mm. All right. 
Let's continue on. And preach the gospel. It's all sorted out by God. I don't worry about it. I like the words of the evangelist D.L. Moody who said, Lord, save the elect, and then elect some more. C.H. Spurgeon was once asked if he could reconcile election and free will. He said, I don't even try. I never reconcile friends. Look, the truth of the matter is, is predestination and free will are in the Bible. Sometimes they're right next to each other. My job is to proclaim the gospel. My job is to call people to Christ. Our job is to get the message out to as many people as possible. Well, how do you know if you're chosen by God? Believe in Jesus Christ, and you just confirm you've been chosen by God. But God, uh, I I agree with that. Like, how do you know? Right? Trust Are you believing Christ? on Christ? I believe yeah. on Christ. You believe on Christ. Believe on Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just proved my point by quoting Spurgeon. Yeah. And acting. He's <clears throat> he he quotes Moody, who was not a Calvinist. Um, but then he quotes Spurgeon, and he acts like Spurgeon was in agreement with him, even though Spurgeon was. Spurgeon's definitely was not in agreement with him. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, he's a five-point Calvinist. Yeah. Very high view of sovereignty. And, and a great, a great evangelist. Great evangelist. Um, you read his autobiography, and he'd talk about, like, writing Bible verses on scraps of paper and then, like, folding it up and throwing it out the window of his carriage mm-hmm. so people could pick it up and... <laughs> yeah. And it appeals to the non-believer. Yeah. What I really want to know, like, here's how, when you... Whenever you check anybody's theology, doesn't matter if they're Arminian or Calvinist, you should you should listen to their appeal to a non-believer, mm. and that'll tell you if they actually have biblical doctrine or not. Mm. Really, that's my that's just that's just my little pet peeve, right? Because if you if you're gonna say you're Arminian, you come with that weak invitation, and by that I mean like every head bowed and every eyes closed, you know, and uh, let's dim the lights. God's here with us today, and uh, if you just blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's so weak, dude. You don't actually believe people are going to hell. You don't believe it. Yeah. Because your your appeal to the non-believer is super weak. Mm. It's like it's like you're close, You're having them close their eyes, and you're going to bring in like a, a, like you're going to sneak in a, a, a wedding band, and they're going to open their eyes, and you're going to be down on one knee. Well, but, this, whereas like let the gospel, just unleash it. Well, you that's, know what I mean? That's why this is important, right? I mean, some people would would listen to him and be like, well, yeah, we should just let God um, sort it out. Um, in a sense, yes, we do. We, we're not the ones who are electing. Um, you know, we, we, we don't know. We can't look out, and there's not some kind of, you know, mark on these people that show us who's, who's been chosen and who isn't. Um, and so they can listen to that, and they can be like, well, yeah, well, why, um, why does it matter? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's because what you said. It does, our theology does, does work itself out in our application and if you if you think that well people are um they they have this free will that can just as easily accept christ as reject him then you are going to preach a watered down gospel that's like raise your hand and say this prayer and and uh you're saved Mm -hmm. right yeah um but if you believe in election then you're going to you're going to preach a sermon like sinners in the hands of an angry God <laughs> where you're, you are um, impressing upon the lost, the, the reality, uh, the reality of the, of the, you know, you're in a, a deadly position and mm-hmm. you need to flee to Christ. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just, you can't just raise your hand and, and, you know, 
get baptized and join the church and and be safe. You need to to run to Jesus as your only hope. Listen to uh, listen to the Apostle Paul in in Second Timothy chapter two. He says, "Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, uh, of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Mm-hmm. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory." Right. Uh, Paul doesn't know who the elect are when he goes to a city. He doesn't know who they are. Um, he just knows they're there. But he, he knows, knows they're there, and so he's willing to suffer all all manner of abuse and persecution for their sake so that they might believe. He knows that if he goes somewhere, somebody will believe the gospel. Yeah. They're chosen by God. Um, all right, so let's let's back up now. Let's go through the Arminian, then the Molinist, then the Calvinist positions, because there's a difference. So people might say, okay, I grant, I grant it that there is election in the Bible, uh, but I hold to the Arminian view of election, which is just uh, conditional. It's what we could call, if we say we believe unconditional, they believe in con- a conditional view of election. The condition to election in the Arminian view is your saving faith. I think it's important for us to distinguish. Uh-huh. I've never met an actual Armenian. Have you ever met an actual Armenian? Like an actual Armenian? Yes. Have you? Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. I've I don't think I've ever met an, an really? actual Armenian. I've met the the Baptist version oh, no, no. of Ar- of Armenianism, uh, yeah. which is different. Yeah, I've talked to several Nazarene pastors oh, yeah? that oh, okay. yeah, Arminians. So actual Armenian, like classic Arminians, they mm-hmm. hold the total depravity. Like your well, like the, your will is bound until okay. Well, you got to you got to clarify the when you say classical, what you need to to make sure people understand is we would say the conservative Arminians that still believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Okay, because <laughs> there are a lot of them. Oh, okay, yeah, that are. More, have been educated in their modern seminary systems, mm. which deny the inerrancy of Scripture, right. and they would then end up denying total depravity. Mm-hmm. I'm talking like Jonathan Wesley type, like the Remonstrants, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like, Jonathan, the, yeah, like the like, Wesleys, like the Wesleys, yeah, yeah the Wesleys. They're still around. There are still some holdout Methodist churches around, mm. even probably some some Nazarene churches, um, like uh, what Roger uh, Roger, Roger Olson, Olson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So like a, like he actually. Believes in total depravity. Yep. Um, but and so that you can't just choose God whenever you want. You can't. You can't just choose Christ whenever you want. God mm. has to open your open eyes. your eyes. Um, and can it be is a great mm-hmm. great example of it. Yeah. Um, like I was in I was in chains and then my chains fell off. Yeah. God did something. Uh huh. Um, so you have to have provenient grace grace that comes before mm-hmm. and then you can choose christ but a lot of a lot of um i would say most like baptists that would hold to free will they wouldn't even hold to total depravity oh no they're 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 pelagian they don't realize it they're pelagian mm. a heresy yeah heresy that was refuted long ago mm. in august augustine's battle mm. against pelagius uh, people don't don't realize that they are believing a heresy, right? Uh, with certainty, huh? back to certainty. <laughs> As I yeah. said before, uh, certainty is a good thing. If in it, in if your it, if it is in yeah in your things. in your uh, if you're listening and you're not a Calvinist and and you know you're 
big on free will. Uh, make sure that in your rejection of what we're saying, you don't fall into heresy on the other side. The mm. Bible very clearly says no one seeks after God. Right. right. But, but people will say their objection will be like, people seek after God all the time. Look at all the religions of the world. Mm-hmm. And say, yes, exactly. <laughs> right. They're not seeking after They're God, right? They're not seeking after the one true God yeah. who, who, uh, whose holiness absolutely terrifies those still dead in their trespasses and sins. Even the people that you would see... Um, who are who will ultimately rule themselves to be unbelievers who are religious in uh-huh. in Christianity. Uh-huh. Um they're still not seeking the one true God. Right. But and, just because just because they tack on Jesus to to whoever they're seeking doesn't mean that it he's actually the real Jesus. Prime example for you right here, right? Okay. This is from you know from high school. A little illustration from high school and my daughter. So she's got several, you know, several friends. They're not, some of them non-believers outright. Some of them claim to be Christians, though I think very clearly they're also non-believers. So they get in this discussion about divorce, and one of them says, yeah, divorce, I think divorce is just fine, you know? I think it doesn't matter to God. God forgives all all, all sins anyway, um, so he could forgive divorce, but then they said they went beyond that. They said, and beyond that, I don't even think divorce is a sin because God really ultimately wants us to be happy. And if a divorce is needed for me to be happy, then God would be okay with that. Mm. And so that brings up this thing that I think is important that Christians learn to ask today. When people say they believe in Jesus, you then say, which one? Because <laughs> yeah. there are many, mm. many false Christs have already come and are still coming and will continue to come, mm. and people profess faith in these false Christs, a Christ that has your happiness as the ultimate thing of the universe, mm. will let you do whatever you want, any sin you want, yeah. he'll forgive as long as you're happy. Mm-hmm. Um, or do you believe in the Jesus of reality, the Jesus revealed in the Bible? That's an important question to ask. Yeah. Right? Well, people talk about you know the Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, as if that you trace them back and they all go back to the real God. Mm-hmm. But in their denial of of Christ, Judaism and Islam reveal that they they rejected God. They reject. They're rejecting the real God. Mm-hmm. Like practicing Jews and and Christians are not worshiping the same God that they are not the same. Right? we have to be really clear. There is only one true God. He's revealed himself in a certain way and to reject how he's revealed himself is to reject God altogether. It's not, well, I'm, I'm we're we've got the same God of Abraham. No, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. Yes. Right. Abraham was trusting right in Christ. It. You're right on it. All right. So classical Arminian, their view is that election's undeniable. It's there in the Bible. Um, they would even admit to such scriptures as 2 Timothy 1.9, where we talk about Christ who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. They'll even say, yes, I grant to you that before the ages began, before the world was ever created, God elected a people to salvation. But it was conditional... It was based on God's knowledge of their belief Hmm. that they would 
when they heard the gospel, they would, in fact, believe upon Christ. God then elects them based upon that knowledge that they have chosen God. Mm. So you choose God, then God chooses you. That's how it goes. Now, some people have called this, I don't know if, if the Arminians like this terminology, but they've called it the corridor of time view, yeah. that God looks down through the corridors of time and he sees all the people that will hear the gospel and positively respond to that and accept Christ. Then he, before time, decrees their election. Mm. These are the elect these are the ones, and then he creates time, time and space, and everything comes into existence. There's different. What's what's difficult is that there's different. There's different views even uh-huh. within this, right? Um, because I've heard the view that Christ is the elect one, and so right. yes, God has unconditionally chosen Christ, and then everyone who believes well, that, in him become elect. Which that's more of a modern spin, I think. Uh, Karl Barth uh, mm. is the one who first introduced that, mm. and then um, who's the guy I'm thinking of now? The fame he wrote many many books. Uh, he claims to be a Calvinist, though he really isn't. But he's a big. Gonna <laughs> have to be more more specific than that. I don't know. He's a really big proponent of this view of election. Um, he's written some ethics books as well. Are you talking about Norman Geisler? Norman Geisler. Norman Geisler is a proponent of this view. Mm. But see. Bart came along even much later than uh, mm. the Reformation. Right. Cla- that's not the classical Arminian view. No. That's more of a modern spin on the Arminian view. Corporate election in Christ. So what would you call choice meets? Uh, I guess the that, choice meets position. That that's just another version of, of uh, <laughs> I think of I think of uh, Geisler's. That's that's Leighton Flowers. Spin, yeah. Leighton Flowers. He has all kinds of uh, zany illustrations yeah. that he uses. He's he's not very good at exegeting the text, but he comes up with some uh, some very entertaining illustrations. And one of them is that God chooses us because we're choice, just mm-hmm. like choice meat. It's weird. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, All right. so, anyway back to the Arminians. Why? Yeah, looking down the corridor of time. Okay, so this this view is flawed for a, for, for a few reasons. Number one, um, God God can never learn anything. Okay, that view has God learning something, acquiring some knowledge that He already um, doesn't that He doesn't have that's innate to His own nature. A God that can learn is a God that changes. The God who can change, the God who can learn, is not the God presented in the Bible. God can never learn anything and has never learned anything, Mm. ever. So that view is an impossibility. But they would bring up, of course, they would bring up the passages uh, such as Romans 8.28, which clearly says that God chooses according to... uh, by, by. those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So there's the golden chain of redemption that begins in Romans 8, and it starts in 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So they say, there you have it. Look, the, our view is just straightforward. Mm. God foreknew, he saw that who would respond positively to the gospel and his foreknowledge. Based on that knowledge, he then predestined a people to become conformed into the image of his Son. Um, and they would also, I think, throw in there the beginning of Peter. Um, I can't remember the exact terminology of the beginning of First Peter, but he also uses the, the the word for foreknowledge or foreknown. And actually, Peter is an important one. And I think I'll I'll just turn my my actual Bible there. All right, because 
First Peter, it, it played a it played a big role in me um, coming all the way to to grips with this reality. Um, so what what would you say? I know how I would answer someone. As I said, God doesn't learn anything, but the corridor of time view. Um, why is it why is it flawed? Um, well, you've got uh, you've got his immutability, mm-hmm. so he doesn't change. Uh, but you also have his aseity. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not dependent on anything. Yes. Right. Um, which means that God is in himself um, whole and complete. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't need mm-hmm. anything outside of himself in order to act. And uh, to say that he has to look down the quarter of time and his, his actions are dependent upon what he sees us doing is, I think, a violation of his aseity. Mm-hmm. He now is dependent upon, even if it's eternally foreknew, um, you still have him responding. We're we're the primary actor, and he has to respond to us. But even if that's the the case, they still haven't gotten around the problem. They still haven't gotten around what they, they want to teach. If God has eternally foreknown those who would choose him, then it's already predestined right like everything already they have not gotten rid of what they want to get rid of it all everything is set it's unchangeable because god can't be wrong well yeah and we'll get into that when we get into the well-meant offer when we talk about effectual call we've got to deal with the, the objection of the well-meant offer and they don't and, escape they don't right. escape that either because yeah, and, and limited atonement right like if if god has eternally known who is going to respond positively to him then those are the people for whom Christ died. He hasn't died for everyone because God already knew eternally who was going to choose him. Um, so they haven't, they haven't um, ultimately got around any of the problems that they're trying to get, like the, the the whosoever passages. You still haven't gotten, you still haven't answered the question because God eternally knows who's going to respond. So the whosoever right. is already limited. Right. But um, I I would just say that going back and this is why theology proper is so important. Um, the the very nature of God is one who doesn't depend on anything outside of himself, and he doesn't change. Right. So he he does not depend on what uh, what George Mays is going to do in in twenty twenty three for him to to act. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Uh, this right. this is why uh, people like Leighton Flowers have been you know progressively moving towards open theism because that's the logical conclusion. Right. If you if you take it. Uh, consistently, you're going to end up with well, the way that we get around it is God doesn't know everything um, infallibly. Mm-hmm. He's 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 in process of learning, right? Which uh, is just filled with all kinds of problems if you are taking the text seriously. So one of the one of the problems I think also probably perhaps the biggest. Is that it misinterprets the word foreknow? Mm-hmm. I believe it, it is. Oh yeah, is, is a, it is a, absolutely applying to the word foreknow um, <clears throat> a Greco-Roman meaning, right? That's really of a Hebrew. It one. really is. It's really, I think, taken from Greek philosophy. It's, it's, it's pagan. It's pagan ideas. Yeah, and it's applying it to the God of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Whereas, as Paul writes these words, as Peter writes these words, they have in mind the idea of foreknowing the uh, the biblical idea that we see in the in the Bible in the Old Testament yeah what 
what it is to know someone. There's the yada. knowledge. Mm-hmm. So a big a big hint there uh, would be that when we go to Amos, we see God saying that. I'm sorry, what? Amos. 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 Sorry, uh, Amos. A- anytime someone pronounces a, a Amos a, a, a name of a Bible differently, I just you uh, want to hear it. You I just pre- want to hear it again. You prefer Amos. you prefer the medieval English uh, translation, Amos. Uh, I mean. Amos is going to come out, and he's going to have his his uh, big mule with him, and he's going to plow a field. Huh? <laughs> he was a shepherd, wasn't he? Wasn't Amos a shepherd? <laughs> no, it's like, uh, you know, Isaiah. You, mm-hmm. know, you heard people say Isaiah? Uh-huh. That's correct. Uh-huh. It's just not the way that yeah. that most of us learned it. So it's yeah. I, I don't know what's the correct way to say it. Sorry. Uh, who, who, who could know? Who could know? Probably Amos. Probably. <laughs> right. I'm sure it's, it probably is. Amos. Amos, yeah, it probably is. Amos. Amos. Uh, sorry, it's just. <laughs> I don't know. We got to have, we got to have a little bit of, we got to have, have a little, a little like fun. intermission here yeah. so people don't, uh, they can, you know, go get a glass of water or something. I feel like Amos plows fields. we talk about the, the pronunciation of, he of sounds like, Amos. He sounds like someone who plows fields and drinks Guinness beer. I'll be honest. <laughs> you know? Goes to the pub afterward and he wears, and maybe he even goes mm. and plays a couple rounds of golf on the mm. old uh the old ancient golf courses. Oh yeah. Over there Is that in, what you see over you, there in Ireland. When you hear the pronunciation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so God God speaks to us through the great golf playing prophet. Hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> Has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. And so, of course, we understand immediately in this context, God knows every family on the face of the earth. Mm. He's known all of them. There's not possibly a thing God can't know. So what does he mean? I have only known you of all families of the earth. I think it's obvious. He's... They are God's special chosen people. Mm-hmm. He has set his love on them. Right. He's overshadowed them with his love. They're his special people. So he's only known them. He hasn't known any other nation on earth the same way he knew Israel. That's what he's saying. Well, now, Jay, that's not fair. I guess it's, it's not, not fair, fair for him not to mm-hmm. rescue everyone out of slavery and give his law and bring them into a special place. Uh-huh. Come on. It's not yep. fair. So he knows he knows them. Right. And of course, we go all the way back, we can see how this word is used, even in the very beginnings of our Bible, mm. that um, Adam, he knew his wife. Uh, it has an intimate, there's an intimate relational um, connotation to this word. She it, bears a child after right. he knows her, right? So for God to foreknow somebody would be... It, for God to set his love on a people. Yeah, another place. Uh-huh, you got another? That, that, that the ESV translates it as chosen. Okay. So the Hebrew word is yada. Mm-hmm. It means to know. Yeah. Well, in, in at the end of Genesis chapter 18, or uh, yeah, Genesis 18, um, God is uh, going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says... Um, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him. Um, the ESV translates it as chosen, but it's the word 
yada. No. I've known him. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ESV is just bringing out the the meaning of the word yada. Uh, it, it means right. to know. To know intimately. Intimately, yeah. In a, in a loving sense, to have... S- to have set his love upon a people or a person. Um, so when we come to the New Testament, this is a way that Paul and Peter are using it, but they're applying it as foreknew or foreknown, mm-hmm. that he set his love on a people beforehand. Um, and as we see before the foundation of the earth, really, is when he set his love upon these people. Um, so it's just another word for... Now there's a... Oh, yeah. This is the one that was like, yeah. all right, I'm resisting. I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I'm not always there yet. I, this things can't be. What does this mean about everything else I believed about the history of mankind and the universe <laughs> and what it means to be a free person? Yeah. It's all like, I'm resisting all of this. Mm-hmm. And then I come here, I, I hear John MacArthur preaching through First Peter. Mm-hmm. And this is what it did. I was mowing the grass. You know, I put it, turn it up loud because I'm mowing the grass. Uh-huh. And he brings out this. He's talking about this in foreknowledge, and then he says, look, we got the same book, same author, same chapter, and Jesus is spoken of as one who is foreknown Mm -hmm. before the foundation of the world, right Right. here. So beginning of 1 Peter, he speaks about us as foreknown, and then you come here, and you're still in 1 Peter, and you come to 1 Peter chapter 20, speaking of Jesus Christ, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. And he said, you want to believe... The uh, the Arminian view of election. Right. Go ahead, and you can take the Trinity and just throw it out the window. Mm. And we're not Christians anymore, right? Because according to that view, God looked down through the corridor of time and saw that there would be a man named Jesus who would live a perfect, sinless life by by chance, supposedly. I don't know, but this man Jesus would live a perfect, perfect life, and God would say, "You know what? I am going to choose that man based off my foreknowledge of Jesus and have him be the savior of the world." You just blew the Trinity into a million pieces because you wanted to commit to a view of foreknowledge that's foreign from the Bible. Yeah. Of course Jesus is foreknown before the foundation of the world. He's been foreknown for eternity. He he has been loved by the Father from eternity past. Mm. We have been foreknown by the Father from eternity past as well. Mm. Um, that did it for me when it came to election Yeah, and whether it's conditional or unconditional. Mm. Never went back. That's good. So, should we talk about Molinism? <sighs> People might, might say, well, what is this? What is this Molinism you speak yeah, of? Yeah, Jay, what is Molinism? <laughs> <laughs> can, they actually, can, they, can it be even yeah, described expl- by a Molinist? Expl- explain it. <laughs> explain it for us. <laughs> I, I, well, we can do it briefly. It's, it's going to uh, come back. Have you seen uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse, yeah, of, multiverse Madness. of Madness? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he opened up a variety of realities. We didn't know the consequences. No. Um, here, here it is in, in uh, I think, I'm going to try to do it as simple as I can, okay? <laughs> we're, um, we're <laughs> Godspeed to you. <laughs> now, I did, I have read quite a bit on this because it interacts with this in the problem of evil and suffering. Mm, uh-huh, yeah. It, pre- it prevents people a satisfactory answer to that. To them, not to me. Um, here's the view. And on a on a I can appreciate the view on a purely philosophical level. Okay. If we didn't have the Bible Which that's that's all it is. If we didn't have the Bible, I could say, okay, that's that's reasoned and within your argument it holds together mm-hmm. within your philosophical argument. So I can appreciate it from that sense. I don't appreciate it from the sense of you can't use the Bible to prove it. Right. And that's the big problem. 
and this is uh, this is William Lane Craig's position, and he's a philosopher. Anytime he uh, he tries to explain the Bible, it just goes to pieces because right. he just wants to he wants to insert philosophy into it. Who's another? So you know any other? Uh, who's who's another big time Molinist? Do you anybody well, that we would know? So Kenneth Keithley is probably in the Southern Baptist world the leading proponent of it. Where, where is he? He's at Southeastern. Okay, his book is not bad actually. Um, on on this topic, he leans. There's a spectrum to on Molinist. There's the spectrum of Molinist that would go all the way to the to this uh, left side, which would be, I guess, Arminian or open theisty type. Okay. But then you also have the a balance, like you do in other views of soteriology. He leans more on the Calvinist side of Molinism. Okay. So, a higher view of God's sovereignty. Okay. The other far end would be a higher view of man. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book, the book was, uh, his book, what is the name of it? Salvation Through Sovereignty. That's the name of the book. Can't believe I actually thought of that. It's all in there, George. It's all in there. It's just, as I told you before, the wiring's not all connected, (laughs) but sometimes it accidentally goes together and I can pull a book out like that. (laughs) Anyway, so here's the view. Um, it tries to reconcile... God's sovereignty and, and man's responsibility. They're trying to take. They're trying to grapple with it seriously. It, it came out of the uh, the mind of Louis de Molina, who was a post Reformation Catholic theologian. Okay. He was tasked with providing a intellectually robust system that could combat Calvinism because Calvinism appeals to thinkers. Mm-hmm. It just does, right? So he was tasked with. Let's. Uh, Come up with a different view that would maintain the sovereignty of God in election and all things, and simultaneously hold to a uh, a belief in human freedom and responsibility. Mm-hmm. That we would say as Calvinists, we still hold to that too. Mm-hmm. So he comes up with this idea that okay, it's not God's foreknowledge that's the thing; it's God's middle knowledge. And by this, he means that God has the knowledge of every single choice every person would make in any set of circumstances. So given we place George in this set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. You you know, you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, uh, you dropped your toothbrush on the ground and you're like, oh shucks, now I gotta it fell in the toilet, now I gotta go buy a new toothbrush. And so in this universe, George goes to Walmart and at Walmart somebody presents the gospel to George. Mm-hmm. George hears the gospel and believes it. But there's another universe where you never dropped your to- your toothbrush in the toilet and you never went to Walmart. Mm-hmm. Not only that, all of your parents, your interaction with your parents before you dropped the toothbrush, that all played into it. Now, that's just you. And so for every decision you've ever made in your life, just you, there are there is a different universe where you made a different choice, mm-hmm. where you walked a different way, you answered a different way. And so there, there are universes... In in God's mind, this is they don't actually exist. They existed. They existed in God's mind before He created anything. I mean, how many could there be based off of a one person? Mm. I mean, millions, trillions. Yeah, who knows? Mm. Now take that to every person that's ever lived on the face of the planet. You've got a near infinite amount of universes that God could create, and then God chose to create based off of His middle knowledge. Um. But see, God's choice of creating this universe and not another actually elects people to mm-hmm. salvation. 
All right. Mm-hmm. So they trying to maintain God's absolute sovereignty and election and also man's responsibility. Mm-hmm. So you are actually choosing of your I think it's flawed for a number of reasons because because I think I don't think that view deals greatly with the problem of total depravity. Mm-hmm. But God God is somehow and I don't think they would they would agree maybe agree with this but I I see it as a as a inevitable conclusion God's bound now mm-hmm. by a set of choices that he must make mm-hmm. right he may would want a different world but he can't get that one mm-hmm. because in that world the appropriate number or balance of people choosing Christ is not what he wants mm. so is there because I, I haven't read like Spectrum. Mm-hmm. Is one of their major assumptions is that God is choosing the world in which the most people come to faith in Christ? That's that... William Lane Craig's view. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Molina himself, but that's Craig's view. Okay, that this world in which we have so this world has evil and suffering, but it's actually the best world that God could 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 create. Right, it's the one that has the most number of people freely choosing to accept Christ. Mm. And that's why he made this one and not another one. Mm. So um, I think you can use that thought experiment and go a different way, which is more biblical. Mm. You can say God could create any universe he wanted to, which is obvious, but the universe he chose to create is the one that would give him the most glory. Mm -hmm. The one in which Christ would incarnate, die on a cross, uh, four sinners would rise on the third day, bringing glory and honor to the Father, and that people would be saved. That this is the world where God gets the most glory, and so yeah, um, God would only ever create a world in which He got the most glory. Right? Piper calls himself a seven-point Calvinist. I, I'm with him, and he uh, reasons from that. It's uh, double predestination, mm. and this is the best of all possible worlds. Right. Those are his other two points, right. and I, I think that's I think that's right. I think this is the best of all possible worlds. It's the world that, I mean, it's the one that exists, right? <laughs> so it's the one that God has, but it's not because He foresaw all of these right. these different possibilities. It's because in His infinite wisdom and purposes, this is the one that He <sighs> right. So He's I, ordained. So in the other way, God is bound to a degree. <clears throat> well, really, he is bound based off of trying to save the most amount of people that he ca- that he can, given right. human freedom. Now, in the in the, I think the correct view is that God is not bound by anything except for His own nature. Mm-hmm. So God would. I mean, we're we're now we're delving off into philosophy and we're getting away from, from scriptures. But you kind of have to when you're dealing with Molinism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a more biblical view of that is that God. Because he's bound by his own nature, he he's free to not create. Right. He can he cannot create any any universe, any possible worlds. He's free free to do that. But if God's going to create, he will create the universe that gives him the most glory. Mm-hmm. And so this universe is the only one that could ever be. How do we know? Well, because it exists. <laughs> yeah, it's the one we're living in. It's the one we're living in. So um, that there, there it is. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's flawed because it's not. It doesn't have. I can't. I can't go anywhere in the Bible and say, "All right, how?" Here's how God so told they, us that He elected. Right. So 
so they go to places like Matthew chapter uh, 11 with, um, you know, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. If, mm-hmm. if uh, you know, this message had been preached in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. Right. right? So they say, look, there's, there's middle knowledge. He knows what would have happened mm-hmm. in another circumstance. Right. Of course, God has uh, knowledge of all counterfactuals. Mm-hmm. He has knowledge of everything, infinite. Mm-hmm. Infinite knowledge. Right. So he knows every single choice you would ever make in any different scenario. Uh, just because God has that knowledge doesn't mean that that's that he employed right. middle knowledge before <laughs> mm-hmm. he ever created the universe. Right. You can't then make that step. Because it still has him dependent upon the infinite choices of of uh, the universe, uh-huh. right? Um, so he's still he's still and he's bound by that, like you said. God is most free. He's he's the most free being, uh-huh. right? Um, he's not bound by anything. If God's bound by anything except for his own nature, then he's not God. Now, right. to clarify, what do I mean by that? Well, God is bound by his own nature in that he can't lie, mm-hmm. right? Well, that's a good thing. You yeah. want <laughs> right? You want. Imagine the nightmare, right, of a god who could would lie. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, so God is infinitely good, mm. and that means he can't violate his own nature and lie. Yeah. And also, it means that he can never create a universe that doesn't bring him the most glory. I believe. Yeah. Um, because if he did, that would mean something else was the main goal. So imagine there's another goal that's out there. Mm-hmm. Well, that thing would then become the ultimate good. Right. And then that becomes God. Well, you see even in Molinism that the focus is taken off of God and it's, it's put on humanity. Uh-huh. Um, so everything's based on our choices and the ultimate goal is let's, as many people that can be saved will be saved. Right? Yeah, they would say freely, freely because mm-hmm. um, right. really even behind that, they want to. They want to hold on to man's free will, yes. right? So we in Molinism, in all of those, all of those infinite possibilities, we're making free choices. But in those free choices of humanity, God now is bound to a particular, uh-huh. yeah, reality. So they right. so they sacrifice God's freedom for man's freedom. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so you get it. Really, it interacts with the problem of evil and a bunch of other things, but. There's the Molinist position. Okay, briefly then. I mean, we're at two hours now, but we still got two hours to go if we're going to catch Joe Rogan. <laughs> but we probably got to wrap it up. A bit. We got to wrap it up sometime. I mean, I have a sermon to write. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I need to uh, be Try done to with, on that. with yeah. point one today. That's my that's my goal. <laughs> so we've got to shut this thing down eventually. Um. So so we don't have to speculate. Mm. We don't have to speculate. How how does God elect? But we're told, right? We're told in Ephesians. Um, God elects according to his his love. Uh, blessed be the God of God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So we're told how it happens. It doesn't happen according to all of these... We don't have to speculate. According to the purpose of his will and according to his love. And I think one of the the, um, arguments 
is, well, you Calvinists are saying that God is choosing people just randomly. It's, um, you know, there's no, there's no meaning behind it. It's, it's just arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Right? God's just making this arbitrary choice. Why would he choose? Why would he choose to love you and not this other person? It's just, well, who knows? Um, just because we say we don't know, because we don't, I, I don't know. Why did he choose me and not, you know, another family member that's rejected Christ? Um, I don't ultimately know, but that's not the same as saying that God doesn't have a purpose. Right. Like God, according to his God's purpose. Got, God's got a purpose. So he said, according to his purpose of grace. Right. Just because I don't know doesn't mean that there isn't. Mm-hmm. It just means that I'm not privy to that. Right. And that's Deuteronomy 29, 29. Yeah. Like God, there are hidden things. The hidden things belong to the Lord. The revealed things are given to us so that we might obey. If at the end of the day, like like say we're in heaven and we're all looking around and say, how did you end up here? Mm. And somebody says, well, according to my theology, I was, I'm here because of grace. Um, that God set his love upon me. He changed my heart. He gave, he granted me repentance and faith. Mm-hmm. And I believed Christ and I'm here. Another person might would say, if they have a different theology, well, the only difference between me and you is that when God looked down through time, I chose God and not my neighbor, and so he elected me. I don't see how there's not room for boasting in that, okay? If at the end of the day, the only difference between you and your neighbor is that you believed and he didn't, and then God retroactively elected you to salvation, you have something to boast about. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not even saying that faith is a work. They'll say, oh, you Calvinists, you say faith is works. I'm not even going that argument. I'm just saying there's something that you can say, I'm here because of this. Your neighbor can't. And the other one is just pure grace. I'm here because of grace. Hmm. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, the Calvinist position is that is what is explicitly spelled out in Romans 9, which you read earlier before either one had done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose of election might stand. Uh, that's unconditional election. Mm-hmm. So the person the person who is a Christian who believes in unconditional election should, should have all boasting removed, all pride. It should remove all pride, because your answer can only be, why do I believe in Jesus? Because God set his, his love on me mm-hmm. and his grace and mercy when I was God's enemy, when I was rebelling against God, living in paganism perhaps, um, I was his enemy. Christ died for me, and the Spirit applied the work of Christ to me and saved me. I believed the gospel because God is gracious. Mm. That's God-centered. Yeah. That's unconditional election. You have any final thoughts? I've got a final video for you. Oh, man. All right. Let's see it. What do you got? Let me turn this up. Make sure you're 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 in here. All right. Well, hopefully I can get. You can't get it. You can't get it open. Uh, give me just one second. I come back to. Oops. Uh, what is this video we're about to watch? Uh, it goes right along with what we were talking about, Jay. But who is it by? Is it a surprise? Um, you know the guy that puts out um, all those uh, like. Uh, Christmas falls on a Sunday, according to the denominations. Mm-hmm. Like the guy that plays all these different denominations. Mm-hmm. It's that guy. 
Okay. Yeah, he's pretty funny. He's pretty good. So I understand you have another argument against Calvinism. Yes, I do. Calvinists believe they are the elect, and that is so prideful. You must have a huge ego if you believe that God chose you. That's just the thing. I don't believe God chose me because I'm special. I know that I'm a wretched sinner, so God chose me purely by grace alone. But you do believe God chose you, and that's prideful. But non-Calvinists believe in election too. The term is in the Bible. The Bible says we are chosen. Yes, but I believe God chose us because he knew we would believe. God chose me because he knew I would believe. So you ultimately believe that God chose you because you made the right choice. Yes, God chose me because I made the right decision to exercise my own free will to come to him in faith. And it's the Calvinists who are being prideful? <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that guy is good. There you go. That's, Who is that guy? That's it. That's all I got. Yeah, I'm done, good, man. I like him. <laughs> he's a pretty funny guy. Yeah. All right. We'll shut this thing down, George. All right. Well, uh, we've talked about a lot of things today. I don't even remember. It's been two hours. It's been over know. two hours. Two hours. Yeah, I don't even minutes. remember everything that we talked about today. Hopefully, we didn't say anything too embarrassing. Sweet daddy, sweet daddy J. And and the real question <laughs> is, do I care if we did? <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> right. Well, hopefully uh, today's episode has been beneficial for you. If it has, make sure to like, subscribe, share. Uh, if you have any comments or questions, be sure to uh, to write to us and we will respond as we are able. All right. Well, uh, come back on Tuesday and we'll have a text-driven Tuesday as Jay gets back into Ecclesiastes. I'm looking forward to talking about it and uh, then we'll see you next week. Thanks for Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend.